You're listening to Startup Acquisition Stories, a podcast featuring the stories of startup founders and buyers who have successfully gone through an acquisition process using Acquire.com, the world's number one startup acquisition marketplace. To date, Acquire.com has helped thousands of startups get acquired and facilitated hundreds of millions in closed deal volume. Here's your host, Andrew Gostecki. All right. I'm here with Sal, the founder of Diamond Dozen, who recently got acquired for six figures. Sal, how are you doing today? Good, man. How are you? Doing good. So for those that may not know you, do you want to give a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah. So, uh, you know, my name is Sal. I've been an engineer really my entire life since I was, I don't know, eight years old, right? Breaking computers and building Angel Fire websites in 1998, nine. And then, uh, you know, I, I moved into game making when I was about 15. And from there, I parlayed that into an engineering career. So I never went to uh, to college for it. It's pretty about 2006. Um, after leaving high school, I uh, got, which I guess you would now call like an internship with uh, some small .NET dev shop. Uh, I went in there as a hotshot, had been writing code for three years at that point. I went in in 2006 and said, we're writing all this ASP.NET code and PHP, and that's the way to go. And that's what we need to do. And uh, the guy said, well, you're an idiot, but you seem to have some chops. And he paid me. And that was it. So, I, you know, I, I kind of took that and kept going with it and turned that into a successful career. I've been uh, kind of all over America as a consultant for primarily JavaScript um, and more recently TypeScript. I worked at, you know, big companies and small, primarily startups. And then I kind of moved into the kind of C-level early stage startup role as a CTO and a early stage founder for these different startups. I've done that a handful of times and Diamond Dozen is really the first time that I did it, um, not by myself, because I've seeded it with a co-founder, uh, Monica Powers, that uh, we hooked up through actually YC co-founder match and just noodled on ideas. And one of them happened to be Diamond Dozen. Nice. What made you want to start a company? Sounds like you had a great career. You were, I, I probably know the answer, yeah. but I want to hear yeah. it. You're right. It is that same answer over and over again, right? You get bored or, you know, you uh, you constantly want to scratch that, that itch. I never really had the whole, you know, I don't want to work for somebody or I want to live my own life and whatever. I never really had that because I've always been a software engineer and that's all I've ever wanted to do. I, I never, you know, yeah, obviously I've had bad jobs and that kind of thing, but I've never lived under the thumb of somebody where, you know, I can't wait to burn this place to the ground or whatever. I've So long as a place lets me type and most places do, uh, I'm happy. So, you know, going back to Diamond Dozen or, you know, wanting to be an entrepreneur and doing this thing over and over again, you know, you get to a point as an engineer where you kind of have to make a decision on what you want to do and how to best utilize your talents to make yourself the most money possible, as opposed to, you know, a career of making other people more money. And it wasn't really about that, but I guess that's a nice clean answer. It was more just we wanted to work on something fun and it blew up and we ended up making a bunch of money on it. That's Kind of the definition yeah. of entrepreneurship for some people. I guess so, yeah. I, I like that. Okay, let's um let's take a step back. I know what Diamond Dozen does. Yeah. Uh, you know what Diamond Dozen does. Do you want to um just give a brief explanation of what Diamond Dozen does for everybody? Yeah, Diamond Dozen is a entrepreneurial co-pilot that will allow you to tell it about your business and it'll print out a basically a worksheet, you know, 40 or so pages detailing everything you need to know about your business. Some things you already know, some things you may not know, some things you disagree with, some things maybe you do agree with. That's the idea. We were really like a Kickstarter for these small businesses, primarily entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who are just trying to get their feet wet with a new idea. Let's see what AI or let's see what the magic says about this idea. And we tried to generate, you know, as much detail about your ideas we possibly could to uh, get you to the next step, whatever that next step is for you. 
Um, so we did this for ourselves. We were doing it for a previous project that her and I worked on together called Quick Game, um, which I'm still very passionate about and we'll eventually get back to someday. And at the time, all this generative AI stuff was coming out and we're always trying to figure out crazy things to do it before, kind of long before ChatGPT came out when we just had access to the API and doing really crazy things like write me a short story about Teletubbies going to jail for homicide. Like <laughs> once upon a time, blah, blah, blah. And we were like losing it. Like society is now different. And uh, and what can we do with this? And in there, we were using it to noodle on ideas for quick game, right? We were like, yeah, tell me a go-to-market strategy and where to some ad, whatever, right? Just building these fairly complicated prompts at that point. And, uh, and you know, as the story goes, and I've told it multiple times as we gone th went through the acquisition, uh, we kind of stopped for one second and looked at each other like, this may be something. I think we can do this for people. I think we can really give value to because we kept like once we were doing it for quick game then we ran other silly business ideas that we had and like oh man this may be a real open-ended tool that could work for a wide variety of businesses uh so then we we took three days four days wrapped up all the uh the prompts we put together and all the research and launched the site i i love that story because you were actually using chat gpt to kind mm -hmm. of build what you built which was validating yeah. ideas um i ran acquire through it and got some good reports and then i i'm also looking at the airbnb report in terms of yeah business viability monetization strategy even i'm like nodding like you know especially you know it, it's very different when you really do care about the idea and obviously you're in a different stage with acquire but when you really do care about the idea and you're really like trying to scratch a niche or trying to figure out where to go with it it gives you such detailed feedback and such detailed insight because of the way we crafted the prompts to, to build it out in such a way that you're like, okay, you know, this makes sense. And, you know, if nothing else, it gets you motivated. And for that price point, I think right now we're at, they're at $39, right? For this 40, 50 page report. It's like, okay, let's, let's roll the dice. And, you know, I'll tell you our refunds were near non-existent, truly non-existent because Whatever you get out of it, even if you get one nugget out of it, when you love your baby, it's like, okay, all right, th this seems okay, this seems interesting, and then you read it, and then you hopefully execute on it. I mean, we've generated, I don't know, I think they're up to 80,000, 80,000 business reports for these people, you know, uh, a good percent of those paid, meaning they got the full 40-page report and not just the initial report. Those are real people that really were helped, and it warms my heart. You know, I don't want to say that I, I love this business and it was the end all be all. Obviously, I sold it, but the feedback that I was getting from people all day long that this is, you know, just changed my life or, you know, I can't believe what came out of this. It's such a, sorry, it's such a magical thing and really heartwarming for me uh, that I was able to help these people. I would agree. I would, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that, you know, one of the biggest blockers for a lot of entrepreneurs is just confidence and, and being motivated yeah. and just taking that first step. And most entrepreneurs, you just have to be comfortable with going out to market with a very loose plan and, having an understanding that it's it's going to change. But when I'm reading essentially these business breakdowns or, or reports, mm -hmm. as you call them, I mean, I would have a lot of confidence in terms of how am I going to make money? Like what are user pain points, the revenue opportunity, potential risk? Why now? I, I think mm -hmm. that's probably my favorite aspect. But I think just having that confidence, it's almost like a startup mentor AI yeah. advisor. Is that yeah, no, I think that's fair. And you're right, you know, so much of, you know, the startup game is mental. Like, you know, maybe, I, I wouldn't even say 90%, maybe 100% of the startup game is mental, certainly for the founder, right? And giving them that 
that boost or that, you know, pivot. like, you know, eventually we started getting into different report ideas. Like here's how to pivot your idea. Why don't you pivot it? You know, maybe this idea doesn't have legs, but maybe this other one that's in that same vein does or competitors or, you know, whatever else, uh, other reports we generate just that, that mental motivation. And for the minuscule price point, you know, as opposed to playing McKinsey $10,000 for an idea that you only kind of like, or, you know, full on hate that, that kick in the pants is so, so valuable to these people. And we heard that the entire time. I I couldn't agree more. I think it's a great product. I'm having fun kind of playing with it right now. But I guess my my next question would be, how did you get your first customer? How did you find the first users? How did you get that initial start going? Did you use like a prompt that told you how to do it? And then some of it, yeah. It it was such a a tough going initially. So the idea, the name uh, Dime a Dozen came from, and this is, uh, you know, Monica talks about it all the time because she is a product person. I'm the engineer and she's the product person, right? And I really do feel like that that balance of product and engineering is the perfect co-founder pair. Um, if you were to add a third person, I would say a business or sales guy, if you're in that, um, you know, a B2B style market or whatever. But that that product pair with engineering where I would hand her, every day I would hand her what I called feature soup and she would turn feature soup into a product, right? I can't create products, she creates products. She can't write code, obviously I write the code. So the, the idea was, we will allow you to buy each piece individually. So the why now would cost 50 cents and the go to market would cost a dollar and you would buffet style buy each piece. And then you get a, you know, a, a shopping cart at the end and then you would buy it. They were a dime a dozen and it kind of morphed into, you know, ideas or dime a dozen, but, but that was the idea. So we launched with that. I think I made probably 85 cents in that first day, you know, after blasting it out to all of my friends, which, you know, is, is not a very deep bench, but it was everyone I knew. And then it just kind of trickled from there. We filled that feature entirely. We made it so that it was more section-based where each section had a price point. And then we killed that and made it just one uh, flat price. And at that point, I feel it was, it was like March 6th. So it was right on the cusp of every one of these newsletters and influencers really trying to get hot with ChatGPT. ChatGPT had come out one or two months prior, maybe. Um, so we were right on the cusp of it, of everyone trying to capitalize on these new ideas and new businesses. And we just hit newsletters. And I think we got in the first one, maybe we got into like Ben's Bites early, back when Ben's Bites was early. And then we started to see it trickle and we started to see traffic and we were getting $39 a day and okay, our first $100 day, right? You know, at our price point, I think at the time we were probably $24 uh, per report, selling five reports to five real people. Like we waited every day with bated breath for refunds and it never came. Like, are these real people? Are these all spam bots? Are these from, you know, some nefarious country? What is happening right now? And it just kind of kept going and it was slow and it trickled and it would go down to zero, zero, zero and back up a little bit. And uh, yeah, so we we really capitalized early on newsletters um, because we were a B2B and because we were almost in like a FOMO industry where your competitor is running a diamond dozen report. Are you? You know, we had the idea early on to send it to every YC company um, to like scrape all of YC and just send it to all of them, right? You know, run your idea through a uh, dime a dozen for uh, a discount or whatever. That's we never ended up doing it, but that would have been a good idea. But in the, in the beginning, we really did hustle. And we really did iterate so, so many times. I mean, if you go to um, archive.org for Dime a Dozen, we changed that homepage 15 times in the first week, all nice. day, every day. I mean, that's how you build a startup. It's just an iterative process of making changes and just incremental improvements. Very rarely do you get it right on the first try. So. Yeah, yeah, it, it's fun. You know, we were. I, I like to like document uh, along the way, certainly little tidbits. And one of the earliest ones that I wrote down was, you're, you're never building the right thing. 
And whatever you're building, you're you're not building the right thing yet, you know, because your user hasn't told you one way or the other. As an engineer, as an engineering founder, it's the toughest thing to get out of your own way. And that's the balance that we strike with her and I. It, it's impossible, right? Because I can code forever. My time is useless, right? My time is worthless. You know, I bill people millions of dollars for my time, but personally, I could just work on this stupid site forever. And it's impossible. It's, it's really, really difficult to self-regulate and get out of your own way as an engineer. And, you know, I see that with technical co-founders all the time. Like, you can't run the show. You know, obviously, uh, put your magic in and sprinkle it and whatever. But you you can't set the deadline. Either your CEO or your uh, your product person or your marketing person or whomever or the user sets the deadline. But it can't be you because you'll just go forever. Certainly talented ones. It's a real yeah, struggle. Yeah, I always say, you know, with, with startups, perfect doesn't exist. So just don't try. And yeah. there's kind of a thought process. Like, you have a zero to 100 bar. Mm-hmm. I always feel like when you get to 90%, it's gonna that's where you should just stop and ship it. Because yeah. 90% to 100% takes just as much time typically more, within yeah. the team from what I've experienced. Yeah. I, I like to say that in the 80-20 rule, whatever side of the 80-20 rule in terms of timeline you think you're on, you're on the other side. So when you're building your product and you think you're 80% done, you're only 20% done. Whatever side of 80-20 you're on, you're on the other side. Almost always. Um, that's a great quote. Yeah. And I, I tried to, we tried to, we've done that before many, many times. So I tried to mitigate that with quick, uh, with Dime a Dozen. We launched it in four days. I hated that website and Lord knows she did too, as a, a designer and product designer. Um, it was a disaster and it was, we, we have no user authentication. I had 50 different fonts, 30 different margins. Our landing page looked terrible. Obviously we had a bad pricing model. We had no Stripe integration other than going directly into the Stripe platform. And we had that for three months. And in those three months, we generated twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, something like that, um, with a broken, piss poor website because we had an idea. Because we, and you know, we fought with it the entire time. Like I can't believe we have product market fit on this idea that you know we we didn't put a lot into. We we thought it was a good idea, and I guess it worked. But we, God damn, we have product market fit. Like it's so unbelievable when it happens because it happens so quickly, and you know, you're not in control of it. You're in control of everything else other than product market fit. The only person that can determine that is the is the market. Yeah, I love how much um you did you know manually or didn't have at launch. Like I'll oh. tell you a fun fun story about Acquire Micro Acquire at the time. But when you would sign up as a premium buyer or something like that, what I would have to do is I would have to manually activate you within like our admin dashboard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I would literally be out with my you know wife and son or something like that, and I'd be like, hey, we got to pull over and. This is like, yeah, I had to like click a button and then like send an email. It was super, super jank and duct taped together. But that's just, you know, you you need to move that quickly. Like it doesn't need to be perfect at launch. But I guess um, my next question is, um, you know, I'm hearing a lot about, you know, product market fit and how things were moving so quickly. Was there like a moment where you really felt product market fit and you like kind of took a step back and you're like, I'm really, I'm really onto something here. Yeah, so we we had we never really had traction. You know, we, we had a real slow, steady growth. Um, we were just kind of doing it. And to be honest, we oh God, we tried to pivot, tried to pivot four or five different times into four or five different verticals. One of them really comes into what what happened with GPTs that they just announced, right? Where we were allowing them to build, we were allowing influencers to build expertise at scale. So you know about gardening, build your own dime a dozen for gardening. You know about marketing, build your own dime a dozen for marketing. And we'd work with the influencer to build out the prompts with them, right? And build out the tooling with them and launch a white label version of dime a dozen. 
Um, and we tried that and it kind of didn't work and it kind of didn't. We went down a lot of avenues and talked to a lot of people and wasted a lot of time. Um, and then we kind of pivoted into a separate idea called Launchmates, which I also sold with the dime a dozen to the buyer, um, which is kind of a, a more broader idea of taking a, a early stage co-founder, early stage founder and walking them through the journey and giving them tools like copy building and you know, chatting with uh, with uh, an AI to to learn about things or building out tasks and milestones powered by AI. And it was a really sophisticated tool. I took a month and built out this entire tool that is it will eventually launch someday because uh, he does own it. Um, and it has an incredible amount of features and it's a really cool product. And by the time we were getting to launch it, we launched it and it did okay. It was another, it was a, a subscription model. It did okay. And in that same week, a influencer out of nowhere, but a lot of followers posted a video that went way beyond his user base. He ended up getting 1.2 million views and we made like, call it $15,000 in, in three nice. days. So here I have this baby that's incredible. When on the other side, we were kind of letting this product market fit like linger. So her and I step back and like, okay, this is working. We have to stop looking at gift horse in the mouth. We have to take this thing and run with it. And we pivoted back to Diamond Dozen. We made a bunch of product updates and we hit that virality point, I don't know, five or six more times with five or six different silly people. None of them paid. And and we just kept doing it. Like, okay, I guess we have something. We have to, you know, stop hating on this thing and uh, and let's let's really love it. Nice. I, I love that because word of mouth is obviously the most powerful way to grow a business. And if you're yeah. seeing it organically happen. You definitely have product market fit yeah. like that. That and the, they're surprising too because they can just pop out of nowhere. We've had it at our company happen a few times, um, but it's it's awesome it's so to see. To it's so hard to believe when it happens, and you know, I don't know if you're a generally pessimistic person. It's like th there's no way this is real. Tomorrow, I'm sure it will be zero dollars again. Tomorrow, I'm sure everyone will forget about us, and it never happens, and it's still not happening. It really, when it resonates, man, it resonates. And it's a very uh, surreal experience. I love how just organic the the growth story is of Diamond Dozen. Like you, you just built a great product, and then people yeah. started organically sharing it. That that's the true definition of you. You really have product market fit, or you struck a chord within a market. So so well done there. Um, now I want to move on to um, the acquisition side of things. So yeah. you you successfully um, you know had Diamond Dozen acquired. What? What made you make the decision to sell the business in the first place? So both her and I have other obligations. I know that's the cheap answer, but we really do have other obligations and other passions in life. And, you know, you know, we, we looked at each other every day like, OK, you know, is is the thing we want to do to build a B2B SaaS to whatever, whatever. And, you know, we did a lot of soul searching and mind you, it was still making a bunch of money at that point and like not really. And we've let other things fester in the six or seven months that we worked on this. And we really do want to get back to what products we want to build and want to launch as opposed to just this foray into, you know, silly AI that we accidentally took. And we were like, okay, let's let's put it out there. Let's figure out a price point. Let's see if that makes us happy. And if it does, then let's see what happens. Really, we were just rolling the dice, you know, just like every other decision we made with the silly project. Um, let's just see what happens. Let's put it out there and let's see if we get any bites. You know, people seem to like it. So let's see if uh, buyers like it too. So what what did happen? So you, you list on um, Acquire.com. Tell me about like the first couple of weeks did yeah. it exceed your expectations was it slow what what happened you know it, there's so many ups and downs and I, I will say and i know you're not asking for this reason but uh ebony worked uh with me from the acquire team and she god 
Like, you know, cause I'm an idiot. What do I know? I'm an engineer and you know, uh, an okay one, right? What do I know about selling a company or doing any of these things or due diligence or whatever? And she really did handhold me with all of your documentation to take me through doing it, right? So as scary as it was, I always knew I had someone that had my back. I know this seems very pitchy, but God, I really do love you guys. Um, and I, I, really I, I appreciate that. Can I just give <laughs> a shout out to Ebony? Cause she's gonna yeah. watch this. But a lot of people don't know that we actually, you know, you're it's not, not alone. Yeah, you're not alone when you list on Acquire.com. Yeah. We got a team of M&A advisors that that help you through the process. So, uh, okay. Ebony, Ebony, when Ebony watches this, Ebony, you're awesome. I hope she appreciates it. So, all that being said, so we we figured out a price point that we were happy with. It was about three times revenue at that time, which is silly, or which is rough because we were only six months old. But you know, we we decided what we decided. Put it up at three x revenue. Put it out there, and immediately we started getting drips on it. We got a couple NDAs, and we had a really early one where the guy. You know, he was really interested and he was kind of, he was, you know, we exchanged phone numbers and I'm talking like, oh, this is really going to happen. It's really going to happen. And then it fizzled. Okay. This isn't really going to happen. I don't think this is going to happen. And the next day you got a couple more NDAs and a couple more NDAs and it comes in and, you know, we had, I want to say we had probably, I, I don't know what the numbers are, probably 50 or 60 NDAs all told, certainly um, 20 or 30 after we got uh, featured, we had about 10 people that were really interested that we were actively talking to. Uh, we had probably five LOIs, some of them um, not great, some of them interesting, and then obviously the one we landed on. And and then, yeah, and I guess we'll get to that part. But the whole journey was really, it, it's heart-wrenching, right? You know, because you don't know what's going to happen, and your life is in these other people's hands, and you you do your best to, to make your baby look as pretty as possible, but it's tough. Um, I will say some of the things we screwed up for any future entrepreneurs watching this that are about to sell, and Ebony begged me to do it the entire time, and I ignored her. Build your data room early. Building out the data room and really getting those ducks in a row because these people that submit the NDAs that want to see your company, they want to see your company. And I wasn't giving them much, man. I was giving them, you know, hey, here's our company. Go to the website. And, you know, we've made, the. I think I gave them maybe a one pager, maybe some financials. I'm sure I gave them financials. That's what it was. Um, the, just the, the six month uh, trending financials and shit like that. But building out that data room, once I did that, things really picked up and the conversations, I got ghosted a lot less. Um, and you know, I told Ebony that and she, she gave me the typical, I told you so. Do you want to know why? Uh, like yeah. we, we coach founders on this all the time, but when you go to sell your business, you need to understand, put yourself in the buyer's shoes, you know, yeah. the more information that you can give them to, you know, understand your business from, you know, 360 degree angle, they're more excited. They're going to be to speak with you right. because they have done their homework, but then also they know that you're serious about selling their business because right. buyers are looking at a lot of different businesses and if you're missing, like when we give this advice, like we're not giving it to just, you know, waste your time. We're giving yeah. it because it's sometimes required by buyers in order for them to really be interested. So I'm glad it worked out. And you're right. You know, it's a fair statement that maybe I wasn't serious in the beginning. And maybe that did, um, that was uh, clear to these buyers. Like, what do you mean? You, okay. You, you have a thing, you, your stripe is connected. You're, you're not lying to me about your revenue, but there's so much more to this and tell me how it worked and tell me what's wrong and whatever. Right. Um, that I, I really wasn't giving buyers until probably halfway through the process. It wasn't really until we got listed that I buckled down. It's like, okay, let's spend two days. Let's build out this pain in the ass data room. It's got all my financials in order. Because in the beginning, I'm tracking everything in the Excel spreadsheet. My CPA wanted to murder me 10 times. You know, I'm asking her in the middle of the night to generate me a six-month trending financials for a company that didn't exist three months ago. So it really wasn't until then that things started to really pick up steam. And we really started to work with people that were really submitting LOIs. 
And and even then, man, you know, it, it's heart wrenching, you know, because you're the amount we sold for, right? It's I think it's public at this point, six figures, one hundred fifty thousand. It's a lot of money. It's not an insignificant amount of money. These these people really did want to um, love the business, and I did my best to make it work, and it really did work out a few times. Uh, obviously, with the one that ended up buying it, um, but it, it's heart wrenching to be judged by you know. Uh, people that maybe you consider below you or whatever um, for your baby, right? It's your baby and you've loved it. And what do you know? And it's a hard position to take to sell a company. It was probably the most stress I've ever been. My anxiety was very high all day, right? Checking my phone like a, you know, 14 year old boy waiting for my girlfriend to text me uh, when she gets back from the party. It's rough and it's not that fun, but God, the life lesson from it is invaluable. And you know, I hope to take it with uh, with everything I do in the future. Yeah, I mean, selling a business it's it's not easy emotionally. You know, no. we always we always kind of you know say at at Acquire we play you know M and A advisor, financial advisor, yeah. and sometimes therapist. Sometimes just yeah. helping founders through the process of you know getting too much interest, or I don't know, like should I accept this LOI? We'll review the LOIs. Yeah, because we understand like in those moments, like you need a friend to call, like it can be very, very really was right. And I don't have many advisors that I can call to to take that kind of advice. And again, it's that same thing. I always knew that I had a choir in my camp. And that was really nice. And, you know, uh, the buyer was asking me a lot of times, you know, how do you feel about a choir? Like, I love it, man. I can't wait to give them my 3% or whatever the stupid kick was, um, because you guys earn it. And, you know, there's a lot of other providers out there that I don't think are in their keep. And I was very excited that, you know, to be honest, I didn't know any of this going in. What what do I know about acquire.com other than watching people shit post on Twitter? And I loved it. And I I always knew that acquire was kind of in my back pocket, certainly as as an engineering entrepreneur, that if I ever did build something that really did blow up, I could probably sell it on acquire you know, at least there's an option for me. And it ended up being true, which was surprising because normally that kind of thing isn't. That's awesome here. Well, I'm glad it, I'm glad it worked out. I, I had a few questions in terms of like how you, you prepared for your acquisition. We covered that. Yeah. What happened when you in live? It sounds like you were just flooded with NDAs and then offers. Yeah, we did, um, get, guess... a lot of NDAs. We did get a fair amount of interest and, you know, just taking as many calls, getting a calendar lease set up, um, taking as many calls as you can. You know, I, I hear this advice a lot. And, you know, I'm really talking to the future entrepreneurs, the future me's out there who are trying to do this thing again. Getting your ducks in a row and making every buyer feel like they're the buyer and taking every call, every chance you get is another bite at the apple and taking every call very seriously. Not, not you know, because, you know, there's a handful of them that I thought were going to be very flippant calls or, you know, I don't want to sell to this guy or, you know, this guy doesn't know anything that ended up being real meaningful calls and real meaningful partnerships with people that I met along the way. I have a guy that we didn't sell to, but really wanted it. That is now a YC co-founder or was a YC founder that's in my camp now. You know, we exchange emails once a month. Um, so taking every call very seriously, I think is an important thing, certainly because this person's about to give you whatever amount of money you ask for taking every call seriously, I think is a, is a real important thing, which is hard, right? We got 50 NDAs. It's 50 pieces of emotional baggage that you have to attach to yourself. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're, you're definitely saying a lot of the stuff that we talk about internally, because a big misconception that I think a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, startup founders, whatever you want to, you know label people as is you have to sell your business and that means you have to get on the phone you have to talk with people you have to understand why are they interested you have to point out the good parts about your business the things you did wrong that maybe they could fix like you have to really sell the business and also be easy to work with and not be so kind of closed guard with information because for a buyer to really take the time again putting on like the buyer hat like you're putting yourself in their shoes they have to like you're right. One hundred fifty thousand is is a is a yeah, large sum of money. 
Yeah. You know, for some people, maybe not, but for the majority of people, it is. But they need to know that, you know, you're going to be an easy person to work with, that you're a trustworthy person. Um, this is a great quote I always say on this podcast, which is you can't do a good deal with a bad person. Yeah. And just help, just make their life easier in terms of understanding the business, be prompt, because most buyers have additional questions outside of what you just had in your data room. So every little thing that you do in terms of how quickly do you respond? How are you on phone calls? How well are you getting along with the buyer? These are all little indications to the buyer of what due diligence is going to be like and what transition is going to be like. And if this deal is really worth pursuing, because if every call and every data request, and when I say data request, it's just, I have these five questions that are really detailed and it might take you some time yeah. to go back to your CPA or something like that. But every moment and opportunity you have with a buyer to show that you're serious about the deal, that you're going to be responsive, that you're going to make sure that this is a great acquisition opportunity, not just for you, but for also the buyer. That's how you actually increase your valuation and increase the exit multiple that that you achieve because right. you're getting as many buyers to the table as possible, which you get multiple offers and then you're able to leverage those to negotiate valuation up and terms up. So right. it sounds like you did a great job with all everything. I did not, uh, but it did work out. Really well. <laughs> okay, okay. That, that Ebony uh, told me along the way was, you know, so we would get NDAs from people and, you know, a lot of them would just kind of linger and whatever. And I got on the phone with her. She's like, I see you have a lot of NDAs. It's like, yeah. She goes, are you harassing these people on LinkedIn? I said, no. She goes, why not? Sal, these people want to buy your company. Like, follow up with them. Are you sending them follow-up messages? It's like, no. Should I be sending them follow-up messages? Like, what are you crazy? You have to, if you're not selling, if you're not a salesperson, which is an engineer, I am not. You, you have to step into that sociopath salesperson mindset. You know, it takes six follow-ups for a person to buy your product. And, uh, you know, if they, if they didn't want to buy it, they would have blocked you by now. If they didn't block you yet, keep selling to them. They, they wanted to buy it. They were interested. Make them more interested. That's your job. Make, you know, sell them everything that you can because they kind of want it. It's like, okay, all right, let's buckle down. Let's, let's, let's be salespeople and let's harass people and let's, you know, do all the things, you know, that annoying people do that make money. And that, that was a big push, right? Because I, I didn't see it that way. Oh, you don't want my company? Fine, you don't want my company, right? She's like, no, Sal, you're a salesperson. Sell your company to these people. Make them love you. And uh, that, that that actually is true. And it, it actually oh, takes nine nine follow-ups for, right. for someone to finally get back to you in sales. But, you know, one thing we always try to educate founders on at Acquire is, when you do the follow-ups, you know, it's always an opportunity to deliver more information. Yeah. So common questions from buyers, or you record maybe a, a video walkthrough of how the product works, or you give an update in terms of financials or whatever it may be. Like you always want to follow up with some sort of additional context. Again, with the goal of just helping a buyer wrap their head around their business. So this, let me see this all the time where buyer signs NDA, and then you send just, you know, three follow-ups with, Relevant information, relevant information. And you can always add a PS like, hey, if you're not interested, just say no, and then right. I'll leave you alone. But I like to always view the buyer as the buyer until they are not. So until they say, right. hey, I'm not interested, then just keep giving them information so they have a better understanding of the business. And then you never know at one point they might be like, oh, okay, I, I get it. Like, I want to I want to have a chat. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you, you followed that advice because it, it seemed like it worked yeah. out. I did follow it about halfway through and, you know, she was right, but, but she's right. And, and, you know, I wasn't serious about selling it until I got serious about selling it. And, you know, as, as you're trying to decide to list your company or not, 
really soul search and really decide. But if you decide, go all in and, and really put in the work for it. She asked me to record so many videos that I just never did until, you know, halfway through and uh, somehow it worked out. But but yeah, if you're going to do it, go in hard and uh, and, you know, don't look back. That's that's great advice. And then also take our advice. <laughs> and, and also, yeah, take, take Bernie and Acquire's advice. Yeah, I, I love just the story of this from start from to finish in yeah. terms of, you know, the way you built the product, you know, built a very bare bones, you got product market fit. It sounds like it was a viral yep. sort of user grab, which is the best. That's every, you know, founder's dream. And then when you went to sell the business, you had multiple people interested, successfully acquired. Um, so Sal, congrats on. You did everything wrong. Uh, uh, to me, it sounds like you did everything right and, and it worked out. So um, for final questions, um, I always, I always got to ask, but um, what do you, what do you work on now? Yeah. Um, you know, so I think, so right now I'm still CTO and co-founder of a, another company um, with uh, some other partners. It's a, it's a bigger company where we do bigger things in the healthcare space. I, I'm living that life and trying to give them as, as much time and attention as I can to, to kind of get them to where they need to go. But after that, I'll probably go back to my previous uh, startup that I founded uh, called Quick Game, which is a uh, education platform for kids, figure 10 to 16, to teach them software engineering skills through building games. It's like Scratch on crack. It's Scratch, but 3D and um, multiplayer for free and web-based and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so that's the idea, to go back to that and you know probably uh, try to find product market fit once again, maybe try to raise money. Um, certainly coming off the heels of uh, what we've done with I'm a Dozen. Um, I'm excited to kind of get into that headspace again and really, uh, you know, get back to it. It, it. It's it's addicting, right? It's addicting to to launch companies. Certainly, when you have the capability to, uh, and you have the team to, it's addicting to to you know. Monica and always and I always say uh, we want to fail 12 times in a year. And anytime anytime there's a year where we fail less than 12 times, it's kind of a waste because if you're not failing 12 times, you're not trying 12 times. And you know, if you're not trying 12 times, then what are you doing? You're just kind of wasting time. And you know, we did that with Diamond Dozen two or three times before we hit it. Um, and then we we rode out dime a dozen for as long as we could. It's important, certainly, I think, uh, to throw as many things at the wall as you can and see where it takes you. I, I would completely. I actually wrote um, a blog post about building companies. And my goal in college was to build 12 startups because it takes an angel investor 12 investments to pay off for the 11 that don't work. Sure. So it's like applying an angel investor's approach to building startups. But I only got the startup two, and that one started working. So, unfortunately, uh, yeah, I did the same thing. I w we we made this pact, and then Dime a Dozen, you know, printed twenty thousand dollars. Like, ah, fuck, I guess we got to do this one. <laughs> you know, some. I mean, it just just get started. That's always always my favorite yeah. advice. Just get started. And again, as an engineering founder, it's very hard. It's very hard to stop. It's very hard to you know not fucking npm install all the latest technology and maybe switch to this and switch to that and whatever. It's really hard. And you know, I, I fight that struggle every single day. Uh, it's very attractive to continue coding forever, um, but it doesn't pay the bills and it doesn't find product market fit. And it's a tough thing. It's the, you know, because I give a lot of startup advice long before Dime a Dozen, because I've been, you know, a CTO now for eight years or so. And I give a lot of startup advice. And whenever I come across a founder who's a technical founder, I just run them through the ringer. Like, you have to stop. Whatever you're working on right now, you should probably stop. And you should probably just launch. Well, no, I got to get authentication working. It's like, I didn't have authentication. Well, you know, I got to make the web page look better. It's like, I didn't make the web page look better. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're working on now doesn't matter unless you've launched. Once you launch, you're on your own and, you know, separate conversation. But what would you, what advice would you give just out of curiosity to a non-technical founder? I'm not technical at all. That's I, don't great. Know, I don't know how to code. I don't even know where our servers are. That's weird. 
<laughs> no, I know um, they are. <laughs> I know our service. Uh, so, you know. They're in the cloud. They're, they're in the cloud. Somebody told me they're in the cloud. Yeah. It, it's about, it's really the same exact advice in that just run. And, you know, obviously it, it's hard to figure out how to build a product, right? There's a lot of no-code tools now. And I give people a lot of, you know, give it a try, try bubble, try these things, you know, obviously Webflow, so put a, put a, you know, a Stripe link on there. You can do all those things with your hands. Eventually you're going to have to figure out paying somebody and, you know, maybe you'll get a friend or maybe you'll hire offshore or whatever it is. Finding product market fit. And, you know, cause I work with a lot of people that they have the same problem. They can't stop iterating on the things that don't matter because that's what they can control. And, you know, certainly in the beginning of entrepreneurship, and, and founding a company, you're out of control for almost everything. And that's a tough place. Like, you know, if I could just tweak this UX design, this Figma model a little bit better, I, I'm sure I could raise 50 grand. Like, yeah, maybe, but probably not. No, like it's not 2018 anymore and whatever, whatever, right? So it's tough. It's tough to stop, to get out, you know, see the forest through the trees and all these other things. Just just launch as soon as you can with whatever you can and, and see what happens with it. Put up a landing page. Put up a landing page where you track clicks on the buy button and then just 404. That's all you want to know. Run run $100 in ads or $20 a day on ads to a landing page where the buy button 404 is and track how many people click on it. Because if you don't get any clicks, the rest of your problems don't matter. But and that's, that's really, that's actually advice I've given is just if you have an idea, because I think one of the most common fatal flaws when people try to build a startup is they build a product nobody wants. Yeah. You, can, you can validate that so easily with just the exact method that you outlined, which is literally just throw up a landing page and just have kind of the copy. You can tweak the copy mm -hmm. and send a, a little bit of paid, you know, marketing to it and see if you get any sort of activity. If there's any interest, because if you can't solve that problem, you know, we run into so many top of funnel problems and you certainly with quick game, we're dealing with the same thing now. And if you can't solve that top of funnel problem, nothing else matters. Truly nothing else. You know, I want to fix this. I want to fix that. Nothing else matters. Nobody's going to encounter that bug, I assure you. Um, <laughs> and when they do, then it's a separate problem and you're in a separate stage of life. Um, those are, I call those, um, you know, first world problems where basically, you know, yeah. you got, you got, people are complaining about a bug. Like that's yeah, much better right. than having the bug and no noticing, but they're actually yeah. using the product to a point where they're stress testing it, where, you know, something is not working, but. Got so many bugs. So, so many bugs. I think, I think every startup does even, even public ones today. It's just, it's right. just how it goes. Yeah. I do that with my engineering team for the other company. Every so often I'll get, you know, when Netflix sends out the push notification to everybody that says test, 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 right? Like we're not alone. You don't have to be so afraid. Even the big guys screw up so bad and so publicly. It's okay that we have this bug for another day. Yeah. Yeah. We recently, we had a bug, I think like two weeks ago or something like that, where we like sent out a bunch of like emails on accident. We have this new feature where buyers are now instantly alerted when a startup like yours comes on and matches your criteria. And then on that day, we accidentally sent out like a hundred thousand emails on accident. <laughs> and then it was a total, like, you know, yeah. I had like 20 people on Twitter being like, why are you like sending me all these emails? And it was a week before the launch. So <laughs> And then we launched it and everybody forgot about it. So I think maybe the silver lining of bugs too is like, it, it's never as big of a deal as it seems in the moment. Just yeah. fix it, move on. And then it's all good. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's such a hard pill to swallow again, as a, as a technical entrepreneur, it is so, 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 so hard to not deploy Kubernetes across 50 instances and on and on and on. It's so, so hard. But if you can, if you can fix that, if you can fight through that, that's half the battle as a technical entrepreneur.
Well said, Sal. Well, hey, if I've really enjoyed this conversation. This has been a ton yeah. of fun. And congrats again on what you built and the successful acquisition. And if people want to hear more about your story or just connect with you, where can they find you online? Twitter, Dested. Um, LinkedIn, I think it's also Dested. I'm pretty much Dested everywhere. You can go to Dested.com and find all my stuff. That's D-E-S-T-E-D. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm incredibly approachable. Certainly to technical founders, I'm incredibly approachable. I, I give advice all day long. You know, sometimes people want it, sometimes they don't. For non-technical founders, you can ask me questions. I don't really live in that world. But yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I should post a lot on Twitter about uh, TypeScript and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's Wait, great. Why, why, why do people not like TypeScript? I'm not technical, so I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. Don't, don't get me started on these things. <laughs> okay. We I've won't. been a TypeScript fanboy since the day it came out, but people have opinions. Don't don't listen to, uh, let's not get into any of this. Let's not get into any of this. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Anytime I see someone like making a joke about like a text tag or something, it's just so beyond. I'm just like, does it work? <laughs> Yes or no? Like, <laughs> anyways. So maybe we'll we'll bring you back on here. We'll we'll talk about all the sure. all the 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 scripts or you know sure. text tags that people have have gripes with. Well, Sal, you're you're awesome. Congrats on on everything. And I'm I'm rooting for you and your next startup. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, man. Truly, thank you. All right. Take it easy, Sal. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Startup Acquisition Stories podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, make sure to like and follow on your preferred channel. If you know a friend or colleague that's thinking about selling their startup and don't know where to start, please share it with them. For more information on Acquire.com and how we can help you start conversations with serious buyers with acquisition targets ranging from 50,000 up to 50 million or more, check us out at Acquire.com. We'll see you next time.